and welcome to this episode of 10 Conversations for 10 Years, a series of conversations that Pedro and I are hosting to reflect on the learning from the last 10 years of applying quality improvement at Elft and think ahead to the future of the field of healthcare improvement. Pedro, welcome. Thank you, Amar, and uh, great to be here once again with this uh, great group of, uh, of people who have been working uh, together and separately to navigate the journey of continuous improvement across health. Uh, Amar, do, do you want to get us started? Yeah, we're delighted to be focusing today on the topic of the executive role in leading improvement. And we have a wonderful panel with us today that spans the history of quality improvement at Elft. So delighted to have with us uh, Kevin Cleary, who has been Chief Medical Officer at Elf for several years, Stephen Course, who's been the Chief Finance Officer during that period, Mohit Venkatram, who's been the Executive Commercial Director, and Lorraine Sandusa, who's been Chief Nurse and now Interim Chief Executive in, in the team for many years too. So thank you all very much for joining us today. Delighted to, you, you could join us and looking forward to hearing, hearing your thoughts. I wonder if we could start off by just thinking a little bit about those early days. Um, and Mohit, uh, I wonder whether you could kick us off because you, you've been in the executive team for the longest period now, if anybody, and you've seen the whole transition from assurance towards improvement. And what has that transition looked and felt like for an executive director? Thank you, Omar, for inviting me and Pedro. I think uh, it's been a fabulous journey, a, a great introduction. I've may have been the longest, I'm still the youngest and the best looking, I'm gonna to stick to that plan. But I think in terms of um, the journey, it's fascinating because the journey of the hearts and minds change as an exec, giving up control to recognize improvement and delivery does not have to lie with performance management, but there are better ways of giving that control recognizing power doesn't have to stay at the executive level, but actually can be held much better and deliver much better outcomes for local residents and people by holding it in the front line. And re-engineering the role of the exec to recognize you are in a supportive role, you are in a role of growing an environment where people can be supported. But the most important challenge in all this is in your head recognizing you do not have the levers with which you have lived all your life and given assurance to the board. So how do you sit back then as an exec and feel comfortable that you don't have the same level of control on that delivery? Because I recall when, I, when we started this journey, I used to be the executive director for performance delivery and delivery of performance in those days was very much about control, was very much about a top-down model, was very much about dictating the areas of focus, and QI turns it on its head. So the change in you as an individual, the change in the role as, uh, as an exec, the change in the team around you, and the lack of controls, so you go through this roller coaster emotions of, um, oh my God, how am I going to get this right? To 
gradually seeing things are improving and you wonder if that improvement is fortuitous or genuinely a change to a couple of years later recognizing actually that was a fabulously well turned around cultural change which delivers ownership which delivers uh, outcomes in a very different way mohit uh, that's a wonderful start and i wonder if i can build on that and maybe direct this question to uh, kevin lorraine and steven uh, but staying in the in the transition space of moving from assurance to improvement as you were speaking two words came to mind one is learning and the other one is unlearning so i wonder kevin lorraine and steven in the transition between a kind of traditional let's say assurance oriented model of leading to an improvement way of leading what were some of the things that you that were really helpful uh, and you kept with you what were some of the things that you maybe reflected upon and thought about on learning and what were some of the things that you were seeking to learn or or were uh, were learning as you as you made the transition uh, i joined um elf from natural patient safety agency um and whilst i've been there i had um traveled around hospitals in england uh invited and uninvited um to see how uh, people were doing things um and getting a sense of what the best organizations um really looked like and i think it's easy when something's been running so successfully for 10 years to think that it's it's always been easy uh, but actually it wasn't that easy at, at the beginning because really you had to win the hearts and minds um of the other executives there was there was Amar there was me and there was Fred who um was chief operating officer at the time and he was very enthusiastic um and Jitesh the chief financial officer who's very enthusiastic but not everybody was enthusiastic not everybody really understood what it was i think we were trying to do and you know at the start and it's not just executive directors it's non executive directors as well were very skeptical i think um worried that this was going to be one of those sort of nhs type projects which uh, would run for about 6 months and then run out of steam and um uh, nothing would have changed so i think one of the first things we had to do was to learn how to work differently um uh, as a board and um i think the board and particularly probably the non executive directors get a lot of uh reassurance from you know papers which are you know, assurance type papers which lay out data for them to see uh, and they can see that everything's working well or or it's not working well and they can sort of you know they focus in on that um and to leave that behind and to start looking at data in a very different sort of way i think at the first made people very very uncomfortable um Uh, and we had a lot of really quite meaty discussions about you know what this was all going to mean um uh in the end um and uh we had to learn we had to learn how to be coached so i remember you know we were having coaching sessions with derek i think who was president ihimo at the time and um we had never been coached indeed you know we were quite a condition heavy um uh, board and conditions 
traditionally don't have coaching and doctors certainly don't have coaching. And so it was a, you know, it was a novel experience for all of us. And we had to learn how to use that. We had to learn how to contain our anxiety um, uh, in a different sort of way, because not everything goes right, right from the start. Um, and you also have to learn how to relax, which is actually acknowledge that you don't have the answers for everybody in the organization. And that actually probably the staff working in the clinical teams who are actually doing the work every day do have some of the answers, but you've got to give them permission to sort of do it. And I think that's, that's one of the things that we had to learn how to do. Actually had to be more confident in our staff and not think that we had to be watching everything that they were doing all of the time um, uh, in order to make the organization um, safe. Uh, and I think we we also learnt how to value people in the organisation, which is I think not something we always did, um, and to visibly value them, um, and not feel that our job was to be constantly watching what was going on, ready to pounce uh, if if something happened. So I think it was a, it was a big cultural change um, for us uh, as a board and as an organisation. And, um, but it, it paid off. I think for me, there's probably two things. Um, when I, when I first, uh, well, when this kind of QI first came about quality improvement, I was deputy director of finance. Um, and as Kevin says, Jitesh was around on the board as, as CFO. And, um, <clears throat> in some ways that was quite good for me because the, the business case didn't necessarily show a traditional return on investment that we're so used to seeing in the NHS. So kind of my two points are fairly linked. A phrase that I probably stole from you, Pedro, or one of your colleagues was was constancy of purpose. And um, that's always kind of stuck with me. I still use it now. So we had this new way to work, as, as Kevin's described and, and Moet's described, which is very, very different to kind of the way we used to work before. And there were people that were sceptical. There were people who didn't get it. There were some very enthusiastic people, but perhaps they didn't even get it other than being very enthusiastic about it. So we had to really hold true to what we thought was the right thing to do in, in delivering a quality improvement methodology and culture around the organisation. And I think the more we did that, the more people we started to, to bring with us. And the fact we had a business case that wasn't laid out neatly with a return on investment that we could say, if we invest X, we'll get Y out the other end. But if we stuck to that, we kind of knew that if we delivered things at a better quality and, and strive for quality improvement, we would start to see not only a, a payoff in terms of benefits for our populations, but also probably a financial benefit in doing that as well. So I think that for me was the kind of the, that's where we really had to hold our nerve. Um, and a few years later, I was kind of asked to go and present in front of a group of fellow CFOs in London and, uh, and tell them all how we got our business case through. And they were somewhat aghast that we didn't have a, um, a business case that had a nice spreadsheet, which us accountants all love, that demonstrated what this was going to deliver in terms of future benefit. Um, but they all got it at the end of the session and started to take that kind of approach back into their own organisations, some more successfully than others, it must be said. But I think it really just comes back to that first point. We really had to kind of hold true to this because it could so easily have been, as Kevin describes, a typical NHS project that lasts for a few months was a good idea. And then the next 
the next big thing comes in and we forget that and we move on. But I think by sticking with it and um, using the early enthusiasm we had from those people, not only around the board table, but also as it started to spread and get into the organisation, use those people to help shape it and help us all drive that kind of constancy of purpose of this is how we're going to do things around here, guys. This is the way we're going to work. And it's going to be you. You're going to lead this. It's not going to come from the executive team. It's not going to come from the board. We'll support it and we'll help you. But this is really for you to drive. And, and that was a big, big change. And I think the unlearning piece is, is also really important. Um, even just thinking about in finance, getting our finance business partners to understand how we're going to do this. And this is very different to what you've seen before. Um, took a fair bit of, bit of convincing and coaching. And I can recall a few occasions where we kind of slipped up a little bit and we had to have conversations of let's just stop there. Let's go, go back and look at this. This is the data that we look at now. And this is the way we look at it. And this is why. Um, and that was all part of the journey, and that was part of the experience, I think. Thanks, Stephen. I, I, I don't know, you and I have actually written a paper now about the business case for quality improvement, which is used by lots of other systems around the world now in articulating their own case, because it is a very different kind of strategic case, isn't it, for a whole shift in approach as an organisation. Um, Lorraine, I wonder whether you could help us um, learn a little bit about how this is lived in the day-to-day behaviours and work of an executive. Uh, and now obviously you lead the executive team. So how, how is this borne out in the day-to-day work and the way we interact with each other and the people we serve across the organization? Um, thank you. So fortunately, uh, I've been in ELF for 21 years. So I fully appreciated uh, the journey, having started in services all the way to where I am now. I think firstly, there's something about you have to believe in this. I don't think this is something you can necessarily fluke uh, as a leader because there's expectations in your behaviours in terms of the questions that you ask, the data that you look at, and also how you engage people uh, with it. Um, I think day to day, there's something about trusting the organisation to know where the actual problems are and to know the things that they want to solve. Even if we go back when this started, for me, what sold it was when we, I worked in inpatients, were really clear that violence and aggression was the biggest thing that impacted uh, us and being allowed to be able to go on an ambitious project to try and deal with violence and aggression in inpatient mental health wards. I mean, that was a given. If you worked on a ward in mental health, you would get assaulted. Patients would feel unsafe. So then to be trusted to take that uh, and then actually start to do something about it. And, you know, at the first, I think, year or so, we didn't necessarily get any results in, in Tower Hamlets. I was in forensics watching what was going on. And then we started to see some some uh, examples. So I think in terms of our day-to-day uh, as a leader, there's something about holding your nerve, which my colleagues have spoken about, because there's this need for us to jump in and want to sort everything out and just tell everybody what to do. You have to really step away from that. Uh, but the only way you can do that is if you believe the system is going to work and it has worked. Then there's the language that we use when we're talking generally, because what I love about continuous improvement and the tools we've learned is a suite of tools. So it's not just one thing that fits only one thing when you're doing a project. 
There's so many tools that you can take uh, uh, from it that you can apply in all sorts of uh, in all sorts of ways. And then how you present your data, how you talk about your data, and how you measure improvement uh, over time, uh, and not just um, enticed by certain numbers. It's, it's taking a step back to say, actually, are there improvements there? Are we are we getting to the to to the aim that we're we're, uh, we're we're aiming for. But also, what have we learned even when things haven't shifted or it, it hasn't worked? So I think all of that in terms of your own work, how you present it and what you do has to, it can't be you expect the organization to do so, but you as an executive team uh, do something different. So our day-to-day -day work is in the spirit of continuous uh, improvement as well. I wonder if we can build on that response, Lorraine, and maybe I'll ask uh, Kevin to start this round. There are moments, there are occasions, there are happenings, let's call them, that maybe help you build belief in things that you either decide to go for or abandon. And I wonder, Kevin, uh, what helped you to build belief in improvement uh, as a better way to lead and solve problems within the organization? So I think at the start, Pedro, um, the organization had had its confidence really shaken uh, by um, a terrible patient safety incident that happened um, uh, when um, a patient was murdered on, on an acute ward. Uh, and um, there was a nurse sat outside the next bedroom um, who was uh, specialing another patient at the time. And I think that really shook the confidence to organisation. So I think in some ways the organisation had already got itself into a position in which it was questioning whether what it was doing um, was right uh, or not at, at the start. And that probably made things easier because, you know, that phrase, if you always do what you've always done, you'd always get results you've always got. So um, the organization didn't want, you know, didn't want to have awful patient safety incidents happening. And um, uh, so I think at the beginning, um, that made it easy. I think that the work on violence and aggression, um, which is known to be a really difficult um, uh, problem in mental health. And I think that if you went round most um, hospitals uh, in England at that time, they would say that violence and aggression was a normal part of working uh, in a mental health unit. That was, you know, it had been normalised, basically. Um, and the fact that the staff in our organisation at ward level had come up with a program for decreasing violence and aggression and had used, you know, a methodology and it made a real difference. That, I think, A, gave the organisation some confidence that this actually might work, but also, I think, the confidence that actually a thorny problem that everyone thought was just a normal part of working mental health turned out not to be the case. And I think that sort of fundamentally changed um, the way that people... Um, thought about it um, uh, and I think gave people confidence which is what you need at the beginning 
uh, that this really was going to um, uh, deliver something. And um, I think the organization has very successfully built on that. Um, but I think at the beginning, um, uh, you have to have confidence in something that works. Um, uh, and the fact that it worked, I think, made, made the real difference from the beginning. Thanks, Kevin. I wonder, um, you know, in, in holding on to a journey like this for 10 years or more, obviously there will be different people coming into roles in the executive team, some of whom will have had experience within the organization like yourself, Lorraine, uh, and some who will be coming brand new to Elft and to quality improvement. And, you know, how, how has the team at Elft managed to build belief and sustain that belief that this is a better way to lead through lots and lots of changes in people. Because if you, if you look back 10 years, almost nobody is the same. Um, and, and yet we've been able to sustain this journey. So Mohit, you've seen this through. Maybe you want to start and others can join in about you know, how, how have we built belief and enabled others who might be newer to this to gain belief in this. So, so uh, I have been on the board of health in different guises for almost 12 years and a bit now. And um, I recall when we did our very first journey of um, the quality improvement and our partnership subsequently with IHI, there was a lot of skepticism. And as Kevin said, you're trying to build on a belief based on a few of us who wanted to own it. Over time, the ownership of quality improvement, um, and th this is over the time 13 years when the whole board has changed probably three times over in the time I've been there. The ownership of quality improvement is not with the board anymore. It's owned by all the 7,000 staff who are working the organization. The belief has changed from a place where people who own the process, who own the way they work, who own the system we are talking about, and the culture of the organization has percolated all through the ranks to the front line. More importantly, it's phenomenal to see the leadership of our patients in that process because that really changes the way people look at it. It's really interesting uh, now the conversations on something as uh, straightforward as financial savings start with what's the waste in the system for a patient rather than how do you take money out. So when you reach an organization where the culture of the whole organization changes to a point, you're re really reaching a nidder in this change of culture where you start attracting others who believe in what they think they will make a difference to patient care. Also, many people who have not had exposure to quality improvement actually apply to work in health because they recognize the massive difference it's made over the time and want to be part of that journey. So I think the start of it when Kevin was talking about wanting to get the willing together 
to the place where we are, where the tide sweeps you, so many people believe in it. The leadership of our patients and the way the system goes continues to hold the water on what is the right way of responding to it. I think the very important part about this is recognizing the constancy of delivery of the outcomes in the whole process also gives such weightage to the fact that this is the right system to follow, that it makes it a lot easier for the boards to recognize that their role now is not one of implementing the system or leading the system. It's one of creating the environment where the leadership of the frontline teams can continue to be fostered and supported. And I think the work that the central team has done under your leadership, Amma, has been phenomenal to keep the training program ongoing so that the changing staff profile doesn't actually mean the new staff don't have the same formal support in understanding what it means to do a run chart versus the previous bar charts we used to look at. The training I had 13 years ago is still part of the process. So people constantly are part of a system and don't feel alienated. As we edge closer to, to the end of our time together, if I could ask a question that, that I feel is super relevant to the perception that somehow the journey ends and you've done it. Uh, this is a, a continuous forever commitment that the individuals and organizations make if they, if they choose to do so. The question of the now, I know uh, some of you are still at ELF, some of you are else, elsewhere, uh, but uh, what do you still struggle with in leading uh, kind of improvement across uh, an organization? What, what, what's a current struggle? Because this is a never ending journey. So, you know, in, in a way, it's an ongoing opportunity to learn, unlearn, do, refine and tweak and so on. Yeah, I think the, 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 the key for me is that this is, is continuous improvement. And that's the key word, isn't it? It's continuous improvement. Um, it's not just about quality improvement. It's continually improving that quality. Um, and as we kind of grow, develop, learn, we bring in new services into the way we provide healthcare. Um, we've already touched upon we've got different staff, new staff coming into our organisations. The environment around us changes, bringing new new challenges, new issues, new things to deal with, new new problems to solve. So we'll we'll never get to an end with this. There isn't an end point. It's a continuous journey that we need to kind of continue on and, and adapt. And, and and perhaps the way we kind of learnt this ten years ago has changed as well now. And there's there's a different way and and, and different aspects we need to bring in, and we need to be communicating and, and learning about that with our staff and our patients as we kind of go on and, and adapt to these challenges. Um, you know, through the 10 years, we had a couple of years of COVID, which none of us saw coming and we've had to adapt and learn and change, which is is, is kind of one major example. But there'll be lots of smaller ones that we've got to deal with um, as well. I think for me, as someone that's left the organisation, um, that journey definitely is continuing for me. So I was leading a session last week um, won't, won't be surprised to hear was about how we deliver efficiencies in the system that I'm now in. Um, and, and the chief nurse came up to me, my, my chief nurse who I work with now came up to me afterwards and said, that was fantastic, Steve, because the first thing you mentioned was quality. 
Um, and and to me, that's just kind of normal. That's kind of what 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 I do. That's kind of what I learned to health through this this process. But it just demonstrates to me that I've got something to kind of bring with me from what I learned in those ten years around quality improvement, continuous improvement. That still for others isn't quite seen as a given. Yeah, some of our viewers and listeners may may have come across the IHI white paper on on high impact leadership. Um, and in, in one of the high leverage points it suggests is, is to make the CFO a champion of improvement. And, uh, you know, Stephen, you just talked to just quite how powerful it can be when you have a finance leader seeing the opportunity of not viewing finance different separately from quality, but really seeing the opportunity of embracing value in a more holistic way and applying a single method to enhancing value. Um, Lorraine, I wonder whether you, you could help us just Think a little bit about what it's like in Elft now in the leadership team. Uh, you know, I, I hope that, w- you know, we are consciously um, trying to watch for signs of complacency around this, that we're constantly alert and paying attention to the right places uh, to keep strengthening our approach to continuous improvement. And we get, we still get lots of things wrong. Um, but if you, do you want to share a little bit with our viewers and listeners, Lorraine, about what, what, we, what do we still struggle with um, in leading this journey as an executive team? So one of the things is about turnover uh, of staff and we've had new services um, as well. So you've got a cohort of staff from those who are like me, who've been here forever. uh, And then people who've been here for three days or three weeks. And there's something about culture. Culture doesn't happen uh, overnight and people can't just trust what we say because of because we've we've said it. Uh, So we have to constantly be alert uh, to bringing people along as well who are new to the journey and not taking uh, that for granted. Uh, some of the challenges, it's been really busy. Uh, and ever more now, we have to work in systems and also different uh, providers and systems. We're at different places uh, as well. So our methodology may work for ELFT, but it's about how also do we engage our partners uh, in the sort of continuous uh, improvement journey um, as well. We've recently, uh, you and I were leading the piece of work on leadership and culture, because although we're very well regarded in terms of culture at ELF, we know that we've got pockets of variation, but also with all the changes that we've gone through, it was time for us to look to see what are the behaviors that we expect from everyone, from us as leaders, from uh, our service leads um, as well. And I was really pleased to see that uh, continuous improvement is one of the things uh, that people look to. That's when we spoke to our patients, our carers and our staff uh, in terms of one of the things that is really important. So that is also a way to never be complacent and think actually we solved it, we're well known for it, we can we can sit back and relax. I, it's continuously thinking what are the derailers. COVID was a massive uh, derailer and I'm pleased to see that we continued even in the way we're engaging with our staff, some of the, the way we're tackling some of the challenges that came with this global pandemic was based on our learning from the our continuous improvement journey um, as well. So you can never be complacent, uh, I think. I think we should always continue to test 
each other and ourselves because there'll come a time yes amar when you me and mohit have to leave oh i, I dread uh have to leave and that should continue as well even after we've 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 ridden into the the, the sunset uh, as well so we have to keep asking ourselves those questions which we do I love your sense of legacy with humility, Lorraine. That, that is a, a, a beautiful, generous uh, effort, actually, to, to, to have something that goes beyond just yourself. You know, oftentimes we think about jumping over our own shadows, and, uh, and it's such a good example. Uh, and I wonder, Amar, if I can be greedy and ask one last question. I want to ask you for your pearls of wisdom, maybe one short phrase, that you would offer someone who's embarking on, if they're in England, the NHS impact journey, if they're outside of England, around the world, where there might be listeners of this uh, conversation, on an effort to embed improvement throughout an organization so that they can deliver even better results. So what would be your words of wisdom based on the last decade of your experience at ELF? From what I've seen, Uh, there are many ways, and many organizations have done this in different ways uh, that I have seen um, around the world and have done this well. But culture, leadership, caring for your staff are the most important things. And um, culture trumps everything else. Thank you. Mohit, go for it. Thank you. So uh, I... I think I was going to echo what Kevin says, but but I'm going to add something to it. It's about going with an open mind in recognizing there are no boundaries to what you do with this and recognizing actually you change as a person. You don't change only as a clinician. You change as a person because you view data separately. You recognize the value of measuring it properly and quantifying the measurement so that you know what you're trying to achieve. But most importantly, it is providing support to staff because when you change as an individual, the levers you use and the support you change on mentoring staff and coaching them changes completely. I think it's incredibly satisfying as an executive to recognize that you are not creating a change you're creating a long-term legacy beautiful Stephen. so i think my pearls of wisdom on this would be if you're thinking about embarking on a journey of quality improvement then select how you're going to do it as lorraine says it's worked well for us here in, in elft but there are other ways to do this stick with it share it and shout about what you're doing because i think it goes much broader than just the organization of elft Um, it goes to staff, it goes to, to, to patients, service users, carers, and we can take it much wider and broader than that. And we learn so much more from each other. So let people know what you're doing because you'll get something off them as well as them getting something off you. Uh, Lorraine? Um, I suppose for me, there's something about being brave. Uh, you have to be brave and you have to allow your creative juices to flow and allow those of others uh, to do so. And through whatever process you're, you're taking, there's no such thing as a fail, because everything that you do, even when you don't get the results that you want, you learn something that is valuable. 
that will only support you uh, for next time. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen, Kevin, Mohit and Lorraine for joining Pedro and I in this conversation focused on learning about the executive role in leading improvement. Thank you all very much. Thank you.